Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today, we have Barry Flavin. Barry has been investing in real estate for over eight years. He started by rehabbing and selling several of his personal residences. He then used the proceeds to purchase over 20 single-family rentals. He has since transitioned into multifamily and currently owns 435 units. So thank you so much for being on the show, Barry. Hey, thanks for having me, Charles. Appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about your background, both personally and professionally, before getting involved in real estate investing. Yeah. So prior to my real estate investing, uh, I was, uh, I went to Western Michigan university, graduated from there in 2005, uh, found myself in a ERP software sales role. Uh, it was a great job. Uh, got busy with just that kind of road warrior lifestyle and uh, was looking for a change. And my next door neighbor was an air traffic controller and was always telling me what a great job it was. And I, uh, I kind of always shrugged them off. And then in well, the 08, 09 crash happened and I saw my pipeline go with it and started to think I needed a, needed to pivot. And so he said, tell me a little bit more about the air traffic job. And uh, he did. So kind of fast forward, I, I got hired there a couple of years later and got, uh, got through the training program there and met my, my good friend and now business partner, Josh Sterling there. And he's the one that ultimately got me into, uh, into real estate investing. I watched him build his, his portfolio from the ground up and started to pique my interest. And I was looking for a uh, kind of an additional way to supplement uh, a government pension and healthcare and stuff like that. And thought, man, if I could get a few rental properties, that'd be great. And one thing led to another and, here we are, uh, full-time syndicators. Nice. So what piqued your interest most about it? The thing that made, uh, made the most sense for me was adding to that, uh, that long-term retirement plan. Mm -hmm. So as a government employee, you have, most people don't have a pension period anymore, but we had a, a government pension. And then you also have your, your 401k, they call it a thrift savings plan, a TSP, you often hear it referred to as. So I thought, hey, if I could get maybe five to 10 single family rental homes, but if I buy them now at this point in my life, by the time I retire from the government, I'll have those paid off. And in my mind at that time, I was like, and I'll be all set. Won't need to worry about money anymore. Things will be great. So we quickly uh, started buying a few houses and uh, the light bulb went off for me. And I just saw all the opportunities that uh, that real estate has to offer. And we started just, we continued to acquire and, and grow the portfolio. And, and then that led us uh, into the next uh, progression is uh, multifamily. Were you buying these turnkey? Were you rehabbing them and flipping them? Were they foreclosed beforehand? A lot of them were heavy rehabs. We would we, we did the kind of the burst strategy, you buy them, rehab them, rent them, refinance them. And we were able to kind of recycle our capital that way for, for four or five rounds. We would, mm -hmm. we'd buy the house and it would need 20, 30,000 in, in repairs. We go and put new kitchens. We make them nice. So new kitchens, new baths, hardwood floors, granite countertops, stainless steel appliances. So we would really bring a nice rental property to market for, for residents in that area. And, and we would build in the equity by, 
by doing that. So when we would go to the bank and then refinance those properties, we were able to pull out all of the cash that we had invested in them. And then in some cases, a little bit more cash we would pull out. And then we would just continue that cycle, buying more, more houses, fixing them up and, and so on. So you've transitioned more into the multifamily now. What, uh, what was the huge or the main factors that uh, kind of accelerated that change? So I was looking for just how to scale faster, bigger, and provide even more stability to, to real estate investing for me was just the larger this, the scale. I always tell folks when they ask me, Barry, how do I, how do I start investing in real estate? I want to buy a couple of houses. I, I always tell people, I said, if you're going to buy some single family homes, set a goal, you got to buy at least 10 of them have at least a small portfolio of 10 houses, just so you have that scale where if one goes vacant, you have others that are going to help absorb the impact. Or if you have some major repairs, it's not, if you repair a foundation on a, a house, it's 20, $30,000. If you just have one house, that's going to sink you. Mm-hmm. So I was looking for that scalability um, and just continuing to grow me and my, my now partner, Josh, we, we kind of teamed up where he had start when he started, he got to about 40 or 50 doors and was looking to farm out the property management side to a third party. And through interviewing uh, just different property managers found that he couldn't uh, outsource it to somebody that was doing as good of a job as he was already. So he said, you know what, heck with it. I'm just going to buy a small office building with some garage space out back. He hired a full-time office person and a full-time maintenance person. And now that property management's grown into 30 people on staff. And we, I'm a big fan of like, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. So we teamed up in, I guess the, the shortcoming on his end was he said, you know, Barry's like, I don't have network of folks where I can go and continuously raise capital Mm -hmm. for these larger acquisitions. And he said, your background and your network of folks uh, kind of lends itself to that. So we said, all right, let's do this. You focus on operations, Barry, you go out and focus on raising capital, networking, being the, the quote unquote investors relation head here. And let's see if we can grow the business this way and just continue to buy good deals that can uh, provide some, some solid returns. That's awesome. So you guys self-manage everything yourself from the beginning. We do. We self-manage everything. It's all in-house. Yep. It's uh, it's interesting because I talked to some people that have self self-managed or they have third-party management and they've moved to self-managing. And it's usually after one or two kind of uh, nightmares, I guess you would say, of PMs and then moving to self-managing. So you guys had it under one and um, it gives you a lot more control. What, what do you think are some of the, other than control, do you feel are some of the benefits for someone taking that in-house? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is just control. Uh, you're able to just react so much quicker uh, instead of, okay, we, we have an issue over here. Things aren't running the way we want. We need to schedule a meeting with the property management company and mm-hmm. just go through that whole process where we're able to drill into our reports at a moment's notice and put our finger on, all right, this is what's not working here. Let's get over there. Here's where we're going to focus our attention today, this week, this month. Here's how we're going to get occupancy up. Um, here's how we're going to drive a water management uh, project, things of that nature. 
Yeah, that's important because when I have for third party managers, I have of stuff I own 100 percent or yeah. mainly, uh, smaller stuff like that. And it's um, even with some of our syndication stuff, but it's really that, um, you know, you're following up on stuff and you're trying to set up with them. Hey, email us when there's an eviction that happens or when there's a vacancy that goes and you're really keep You have to keep on kind of keep on them no matter how good they are and mm -hmm. finding out where you are. Um, I mean, when you're getting into larger syndications, you're going to have that weekly call, which you can kind of go over this with, but it's yeah. nice that you don't have to go that extra distance and uh, be able to, uh, you know, drill down to reports like you said and know exactly what's going on. Yeah, we still have uh, we have a weekly KPI meeting every Wednesday where mm -hmm. we get kind of all the, the head parties involved, either in the office or on the phone, and we drill into like where are we spending money, where where are our collections at, uh, what what projects are we working on, our our turnovers, how many do we have in process, so. It's uh, it's really key. We feel to to have that in house as you grow. You can you can do a third party. There's there's advantages and disadvantages to both. But for us, we found that having it in house is just uh, it's allowed us to to scale much quicker and have a lot of consistency across the board. So every time we acquire a new property, it's as simple as just plugging another box into the into the main building here. Yeah, the hard work is starting it up front. And once you have it, then you can scale with it. And I think the other way of attacking that is maybe if you have, um, you know, thousand units or something like this, and you go from the other end where you might buy a place or where you're like, okay, now we can uh, take on two or three full-time people, whatever it might be. And, um, but yeah, the control is the biggest thing. Cause I don't think it's really, uh, in my experience, it's not a huge profit center, but uh, it is very nice to have the control over your asset. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a necessary, but we always say there's, there's the three pillars to the deal, right? You got to find the deal itself. You got to find the money to close the deal. And then often thought of too late in the game is how are we going to run this deal? Mm -hmm. Because we're, we're long-term hold folks. We want to keep these assets for 15, 20, 25 years, whatever it makes the most sense for, for, for depreciation and tax advantages. So you've got to, you've got to have a solid team in place and a solid game plan and people that can execute on that game plan and make sure that this thing continues to, to, to stay valuable, to continue to generate income and provide the returns and make it a nice place to live for folks. So your company, New Mission Capital, you're obviously handling a lot of investors, uh, the contact raising money. When yep. you're usually what you have with syndication groups is that, I mean, I guess it's been a little, it's been uh, lengthened a little bit here with COVID last year, but uh, it's usually be like the three to five year hold, which is now turned in the five to seven to 10 year hold. Um, how are you? Cause I'm, I'm a buy and hold person. Anything I own hundred percent myself or with JVs I'm holding forever, as I say. Um, but with syndication, yeah. sometimes you're pushed into, um, you know, refinancing, which isn't a problem, but also selling the property and disposing of it down the road. How do your investors react to a long-term hold like that, that might have a lower return? Um, but it's, you know, you, I think the longer you hold real estate, the less risky it is. So, yeah. I mean, they don't maybe look at that. They're looking at these other returns from other groups. Yeah. So that's, that is the advantage of the longer you hold it. Um, time fixes most things when it comes to, to real estate because there's no perfect deal. Stuff's going to come up, stuff happens, but the longer you hold that, the less you, you kind of dampen that impact. But uh, the strategy we have for our investors and the properties we acquire is we go in, we set the right expectation up front with folks and there's no guarantee that, Hey, we, we might buy this, say we're going to hold it for 20 years. 
I don't know, there might be a scenario where it comes up and we say, Hey guys, it makes the most sense right now to sell this thing after three years or five years. Mm-hmm. We haven't done that yet, but to say it will never happen. I can't say that, but uh, so we tell folks, our strategy is we want to find and identify properties that we can get into acquire where we can go in we can add that value. It's we're either increasing rents, renovating the property to get there, or if it's maybe just below market rents, we're reducing expenses just through better operations. Mm-hmm. And then our goal is to say after three or five years, refinance that property. Hopefully we've built in enough uh, value to that enough equity where we can then refinance out the majority of that capital that was initially put down to acquire that deal. Mm-hmm. And I think where we might differentiate ourselves a little bit for, from some of our, our other fellow syndicators is when we do a refinance on a deal in a perfect world, we buy a property. Somebody gives me a hundred thousand dollars on the passive side. I'm able to return to them that full amount of capital after three years or five years, they still own their same percentage of equity that they initially invested in. We don't do any type of, uh, of clawbacks on the equity mm-hmm. side. And kind of the mentality is it'll take a while to get there, but we're building this soon to be kind of runaway snowball of capital where Mm -hmm. I know if I was on the passive side and somebody was able to heck, even if they gave me back half of my, my money after three or five years, that's still great. So I'm going to, I'm going to turn around and say, Hey guys, here's, here's some more money. Go find another one. Let's keep, let's just keep stacking these. Yeah. And then they have less volatility in their portfolio because now they're part of more units. And I think uh, with the more units you have less volatility, especially we saw with COVID, right? Where you might say overall, Mm -hmm. we have, you know, 96% of people paying, right? Well, I might be in that asset you just bought two months ago, right? Before COVID. And we might be in the high eighties, right? On the occupancy or economic occupancy. Now, if I was spread over more, you know, overall, we're now talking mid nineties. So I feel that's another great way of uh, limiting everybody's, uh, everybody's risk on all portions of the uh, syndication. Absolutely. Yeah. So you work a lot with investors. So communication with investors is usually a difficult thing to gauge. And um, like sometimes, you know, we're going to send out our monthly report. We're also going to, I'll send out some um, short updates. How do you guys gauge what's too much, what's too little when you're handling communication with your investors? Yeah. Once, so kind of two different scenarios, there's, there's the acquisition phase where where a little bit more communication is required. Uh, we'll go there saying, but once we've closed on an asset and we're starting to put our plan in motion, we do quarterly updates. And then uh, we also do a mid quarter update. We do quarterly distributions as well. Um, and we're, we kind of pride ourselves on our transparency. We try to tell everybody everything that's going on. Some people, they, they won't even read our updates. Just, all right, guys, just send me the direct deposit recorder. Don't care. Do a good job. And then we have other folks that they want to know, everything that's going on. They want to know what kind of countertops we're putting in or what kind of flooring we put down and how much we spent on, on each item. So, and, and we'll go there for people. We'll, we'll tell them exactly, uh, exactly what's going on. We tell them the good, the bad, the ugly. Um, and we've gotten a lot of positive feedback from the investors of, Hey guys, we really appreciate you not trying to hide and sugarcoat things. Um, stuff's going to come up. There's no perfect project, right? And on the acquisition side, uh, as it's because things develop, right? We've we're working on a deal right now where we put a small portfolio together, and where it was it was originally three properties, and on the third we had closed the first two, and on the third one <clears throat> we're a week out from close, and the broker calls and says, "Hey, 
there's a big problem here. They didn't disclose all types of um, collection issues and litigation issues. So we went to and said, well, this changes the deal. We want a, a price reduction of X or we have to move on. So they, they didn't want to negotiate. So we, we had to move on and we reconfigured the deal. So now it's a four property portfolio investment mm-hmm. for our investors. So a lot of communications, just um, mm-hmm. a lot of moving parts, right? And we're, the main source of communication is sending out the emails to the, the appropriate groups. And then just on a more local level, we started with the friends and family network of investors. Mm-hmm. So I see a lot of folks around town, always happy to meet up face to face for coffees, lunches, dinners, rounds of golf, et cetera. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. I have some, uh, I have some investors that will, you know, never respond to us by email, but um, I'm like, I don't even know if you're reading this, what's going yeah. on. <laughs> and uh, I have some that asked for the cost segregation report and you're like, okay, it's 150 pages of light yeah. reading. If you're interested, <laughs> I'll send it over to you. <laughs> let me, let me know if you can interpret that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, if you want it, I mean, it'll be in a K one, but uh, whatever you like. And um, so yeah. you're, you're talked a little bit about raising capital. What have you found to be the best way of raising capital over your, over your career? I have found the most effective way is, uh, we, again, like we started out with that friends and family network of folks. And I find the best ways we're just slowly growing that from the, from the center out. We, we do a good job for folks. And then, uh, when we, we come up uh, against a project where we need to go find some more money, we, we ask for referrals and we try to, that's been the best way we we've kind of grown that way. Yeah. Referrals are definitely the best way. I mean, you can't get any better that way. I mean, no matter what, how many podcasts you're on or whatever you do, I mean, it's still the best way of doing it when you have someone that's singing your praises that's recommending someone. Exactly. I, I enjoy jumping on uh, on podcasts like yours and uh, been on some others. And we, we do have folks that reach out to us and we're always happy to, to share how we might be able to align ourselves with what they're looking for, for, for investments and, kind of what our, our target assets are and our strategy. And sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. And what we found the best success rate is just talking with folks more local here, mm-hmm. closer reach, I should say. Yeah. Awesome. So you guys are a little bit more vertically integrated. What kind of systems and processes or systems and software do you guys utilize daily? So on the property management side, we, uh, we use Buildium as our, mm-hmm. our main day-to-day operation system. And then we've actually, we went and developed a kind of a front end custom piece of software where we had some developers come in and help us design this from the ground up. And it's just really allowed us to tie a bunch of those little systems together and give our, our folks out in the field, uh, just the tools they need to get to a job. They have, they all have iPads where they log right into our system. They pull up, hit the start button. I started working on this job. I completed this job. They can enter all the notes so that that's all immediately feeding back to the folks in the office. So it is seamless, just minute to minute communications. And then on the investor side, we use uh, IMS now mm-hmm. real page okay. for our uh, investor portal. We, we communicate a lot that way. Our direct distributions go out, uh, go out through that folks can log in at any time they want and do a deeper dive into what their, what their investments are looking like. Interesting. That's awesome. That's great to have that with the app when they show up uh, at your property. So then you can really gauge the amount of time spent at every asset. Yeah. And there's, I mean, we could go into the weeds on that. I, you should have my partner, Josh, on the, on the line. 
time and you guys can, you guys can go into the weeds on property management. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what mistakes do you commonly see real estate investors make over your decade of uh, residential and multifamily investing? Ah, uh, gosh, the biggest one I would say is probably just getting caught in the, just the analysis and just not putting that first foot forward and taking action and actually doing it. People just get hung up on the, I'm waiting for the market to level off. I'm waiting for the market to crash again. Um, there's, there's no perfect time. There's no perfect deal. It's, uh, you just got to get moving. Okay. Yeah. I totally agree with that. There's going to be uh, doubles and there's going to be triples and home runs and uh, grand slams. And uh, you can't wait for just a grand slam to come around or you'll never get started. Exactly. Yeah. You still have to be disciplined. You still have mm -hmm. to have to stick to your criteria, which is getting harder and harder these days. People are, mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Another mistake I see, I, I could be wrong, but I see a lot of people overpaying for stuff right mm -hmm. now. We, we kind of scratch our heads. We, we analyze a lot of deals and we just, uh, we let them keep going by. And I said, ah, I don't know how, I don't know how somebody's paying that much, but yeah, we have two potential deals that were, one of them is just went hard on and the other one we're looking at. And I couldn't believe it. Uh, what they're selling for or what we're possibly selling this property for. Um, I would never pay anything. I would pay probably 20% less. I mean, it was yeah. just completely crazy what's happened in, especially in really hot markets around the U S yeah, we routinely see that we're, we'll, we'll talk to the brokers and they're like, all right, we, we can give you, we'll offer five. And they're like, well, we already have offers at seven and a half or eight. And we just snap our heads and we're like, all right, well, call us on the next one. So yeah, no, for sure. Well, I mean, that's something where, uh, I think when I was talking to someone before, not to get off on a tangent, but, um, you know, when we were, I, I've been investing since 06. And when we were self-managing our properties, like in 07, 08, 09, uh -huh. and um, you have a little bit of a pullback, but it was interesting when I was talking to someone, you know, people I worked with in 06 buying properties, they weren't even in real estate in 08. You know what I mean? And yeah. I don't know the perfect percentage, but it was like 80% of people. When I look back on it, they're investors, agents, lenders, whatever they are. It's just when there's this uh, pullback that happens, and that was a huge pullback, but yeah. when that pullback happens, I mean, it shakes up the whole thing on all sides of it. And, um, you know, when you're buying in 09 brokers are calling you trying to sell you stuff. Now you're trying to get some on the call and they're not picking up cause they've got someone at seven and a half when you're at five. Yeah. We just kind of keep underwriting, underwriting and, uh, operate on the, the mentality of, all right, I will, I can't wait to buy it from the bank in five years because I, <laughs> he, I think what's happened a lot is you just one interest rates have been low. Yeah. That much more buying power. Mm -hmm. Uh, COVID definitely, highlighted how stable multifamily was yeah. during all of this. Um, I think a lot of that office space money, uh, East and West coast money, people mm. are not looking for more stable, reliable places to put their money. And you have it's kind of a long run of such upward pressure on rents and it has to level off. You can't continue on this trend of rent growth. It's, yeah. It's great for the stuff that we own, but I mean, I think there's a lot of people out there that are buying with the expectation of we're going to continue to see five, six, seven percent rent growth year over year. Mm -hmm. And when it stops, I think there's going to be uh, be a lot of people in a tough position. So yeah, yeah. When someone sends me their underwriting, that's usually one of the first things I look at to see. Secondly, if they've uh, updated their uh, real estate taxes, but the second thing is to see what their what they are predicting for, uh, for rents and when they think they're going to go into effect, because if you think you're going to move it right to market rent or what you think is market rent right off the bat, I mean, you're sadly mistaken. Yeah. It's going to take you 
two, three years to, to ramp up to, if it's, if it's a two, $300 difference. And from what you're getting to where you could be, it's uh you don't just buy it, flip the switch and get there. Yeah. And like you said, on taxes, it's always such a wild card. I mean, mm-hmm. we always err on the side of caution. We always factor in a two, maybe 3% uh, rent growth factor. And we, tr- we do our best to analyze the taxes, but we always throw in more than we probably should there just because yeah. Well, you have no idea. You have no idea what's going to happen uh, coming forward. And I mean, that is a huge expense, no matter what your debt's fixed at uh, your real estate, you know, your real estate taxes and your int- uh, insurance are not. So it's um, definitely something that you have to keep uh, mindful of that will increase as rent increases as well. Certainly. But, um, what are the main factors that have contributed to your success, Barry? Uh, main factors, um, I guess, uh, two things is one being consistent and transparent in, in all things that we do. And then for me personally, the biggest uh, thing in the real estate side was, uh, taking action and then also partnering, finding, uh, the right person, my, my, my partner and buddy, Josh Sterling, where we had those complementary skill sets. And I say, I'm not trying to, to reinvent the wheel. He, he does a great job on the operations, the property management side of things. And from day one, when I bought my first rental house, I told him, I said, I only really, really want to start down this path if I can buy them and have you guys manage them. Mm-hmm. So this is where, before we even started talking about partnering up, where we would buy the houses, we'd clean them up, and I would I would give those guys the keys right away. I would literally walk from the closing, go over to his office, drop the keys and everything that they, they had, and say, here, start fixing them up. And I... I was able to free up my time to go out there and start looking for more opportunities. Awesome. And then when we, we decided to team up, I, for me, it was kind of like a no brainer to say, Hey, you have the operations down. I do not want to go and create my own property management company. Or if I found myself in a position where I could acquire a property, say a 30, 40, 50 unit, mm-hmm. if, if he couldn't manage it, I wasn't looking at it because yeah. I just, I just didn't want to go through that hassle. Yeah, for sure. You already have that system in place for property management. And, uh, and then you get a little bit more scale, every property that you add in, like you were talking before to have 10 properties. And that's a huge thing. Even if someone's buying a multifamily property, I always say, if even if you're buying smaller multifamily threes or fours, uh, make sure you have that goal in two or three years to, if you want pro- uh, professional property management to handle it, that you're getting to, uh, you know, 10, 15 plus units. And then that way you can get some scale and you're not paying somebody 10% to manage them. And, mm-hmm. uh, you're paying every uh, fee here and there for everything. I mean, you get a little bit of scale if they're somewhat close together and um you know and you can have the same person manage them yeah yeah but how can our listeners learn more about you and new mission capital um the so as far as getting a hold of me the best way to get a hold of me is barry at newmissioncapital.com uh they can also find our website uh, just newmissioncapital.com uh we're on facebook and instagram but probably not as active there for for the business side of things but uh you can get a hold of us there Awesome. I will put all of those links into the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on today, Barry. Hey, appreciate you having me, Charles. It's been great. Talk to you soon. All right. Hi guys, it's Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in getting involved with real estate, but you don't know where to begin, set up a free 30-minute strategy call with me at schedulecharles.com. That's schedulecharles.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit globalinvestorpodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode.
Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Syndication Superstars, LLC, exclusively.